0: Candy from Strangers by Mark Coggins is Original, Smart, and Good to the Last Page Says best-selling author and executive producer of the hit TV series Bosch Michael Connolly Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 9. Putting the Goo Back in Guru. Judging from the sample I'd seen so far, the male authority figures in Carolyn's life were an unheroic lot. At best, her father was a hard-nosed bastard with a drinking problem, and at worst, he had abused her, either physically or sexually. Her psychiatrist came off like an arrogant, uncaring drip who seemed strangely proud of the confidences she gave him and was almost certainly suppressing information I could use. Her boss was the best of the group, but even he suffered from a bad case of Rolex worship. As I pulled into a surprisingly convenient parking spot in front of the Berkeley Ashram, I wasn't expecting her guru to raise the grade point average any. The building was a converted apartment house or hotel on the corner of Carlton and Telegraph. It was built in a sort of cheesy Mediterranean style, like a Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis movie version of a Tuscan villa. All the windows on the upper levels had their blinds closed or curtains drawn. But if this made it hard to look in, the people inside didn't have any trouble looking out. When I exited the car, I spotted four cameras sprouting from the pink awning and the red tile roof. I might have found more if a cop who was standing on the sidewalk hadn't interrupted me. He said, may I ask if you have business at the ashram, sir? A friendly looking black guy with about two inches of blubber hanging over the top of his gun belt. He didn't seem particularly interested in the answer to the question. More or less, I said. Sure got a lot of cameras, don't they? He slid two thumbs past the blubber to hook them on his belt. That's nothing. You should see the communication tower on the back roof and the razor wire that rings the property. Looks like the Berlin Wall. His eyes drifted to my jacket pocket. Say, you're not a smoker, are you? Not today. Looking to bum a cigarette? Nah, I've got a pack, but I ran out of matches and I can't leave my post. I can help with that. I opened the passenger door to the galaxy and punched the lighter down. Give it a minute, I said, and straightened up. You said you can't leave your post. What are you doing? Guarding the place? The cop grinned. See that group across the street? I'm supposed to make sure they don't get within 100 yards of the property. The gurus got an injunction against them. I looked across telegraph to a handful of protesters with crudely painted cardboard signs standing between a kickboxing studio and a barber shop. They were so few and the traffic on telegraph so heavy that I hadn't noticed them before. One of them saw me looking and shouted something in our direction. What's their beef? I don't know the particulars, but I understand they're all ex-disciples. The guru brainwashed them or abused their trust or some such. He unbuttoned his breast pocket to take out a hard pack of camel filters. Think it's ready? I nodded and reached back into the car for the lighter. The cop took out a cigarette that was bent at a 15-degree angle despite the hard pack and put it against the glowing coil. Thanks, man, he said after a deep puff. I needed that. Why the injunction, then? Oh, nothing really serious, I guess. They were hassling people coming in and out of the ashram, shouting at the guru when he drove up in his Porsche, throwing eggs at his car, stuff like that. He should drive a Galaxy. It's the best way to demonstrate an indifference to worldly possessions. He gave me a thumbs up and took another drag. And the lighter works good, too. Mind if I go over and talk to them? Sure, just don't bring any of them back with you. I jogged to the far sidewalk just in front of a wave of cars released from the traffic light. There were six protesters altogether. Four women and two men. They were all in their 20s or 30s, except for an older woman with gray hair. And while I wouldn't have noticed it if I'd seen them separately, as a group, they projected a certain feeling of hollowness or dejection that was hard to describe. A short woman in a gingham dress broke off from the group and came up to meet me. She walked with a sturdy aluminum cane and had metal braces on both of her legs. Did the cop send you over here? she asked. Not exactly. He did tell me what you were up to. I'm up to about three joints a day is what I'm up to. She smiled in a disarming way and I saw that she had braces on her teeth as well. Is that to treat guru withdrawal? Hardly. That's to deal with the pain from my automobile accident. She knocked her cane against the braces on her legs. I'm not wearing these just because they're stylish, you know. The traffic light turned red and a group of cars accumulated at the intersection. The other protesters took this as a signal to wave their signs and shout at drivers. Needy is a fraud! they yelled. Needy preys on young girls. I inclined my head towards them. Is that true? Sure it's true. Haven't you read our literature? She took a flyer printed on orange stock from the pocket of her dress and passed it to me. The headline at the top read, Did You Know? in bold capitals, and below that was a series of bullets. Sri Needy's real name is Eugene Applegarth. He was born in Bisbee, Arizona. He's never been to India. Golden Dawn of the New Epiphany was plagiarized from traditional proverbs of many lands, the writings of Confucius, the Bible, and fortunes from Bazooka Bubblegum. He was charged with statutory rape in Arizona, but the case was dismissed when he bought the family off. He has a net worth of nearly $6 and never pays taxes. He once bragged to a friend that he was going to have more followers than Jesus, Muhammad, and Martha Stewart combined. I handed the flyer back to her. The bit about Martha Stewart is funny, I said. It's not funny when you've been abused or given up your home and all your money, or you wake up from the dream after wasting years of your life and have nothing but an empty place inside. I guessed my sense of the protester's hollowness and dejection was not misplaced. Did those things happen to you? She regarded me solemnly for a moment. Not the abuse. Only the pretty girls get that. But otherwise I get the full treatment. I was told my gift of the money I got from my accident settlement would bless me with a portion of the Guru's essence. I was told my constant pain was my friend, that it would lead me to unfoldment and keep me hungering for God, purifying me and raising my consciousness higher and higher. She wrapped the sidewalk with her cane, breaking the cadence of her little speech. I was an idiot is what I was, and it's ruined my life, even more than the accident. I mumbled something lame in the I'm sorry line. "'What's it to you?' she said sharply. "'You don't exactly look like the sort to don the robes. "'I'm a private investigator. "'I'm looking for a girl who used to go to the ashram. "'She's missing. "'Name?' "'Caroline Stockwell.' "'She nodded. "'I knew her. "'I saw her at some of the chance before I quit. "'Do you know if she's been back recently?' "'She smiled and her braces glinted in the sun. "'I couldn't tell you. "'I'm prevented by court order "'from getting within a hundred yards of the place.' Right. But I haven't seen her go in or out lately, so my guess is she wised up. She seemed like a smart girl. How about Needy? You see him today? Oh, yeah. We nailed his Porsche with an egg when he pulled into the lot. He probably called the cops after that. Are you going to talk to him? I'm going to try. She thought for a moment and then waved her cane in the direction of the building, as if placing a curse. Greasy bastard. I'll give you a little hint. The best way to put him on the ropes is to threaten him with bad publicity. All right, I'll keep that in mind. And tell him Beth says his karma is to be reincarnated as a tiger in a waterless region. I'll do that. Thanks for all your help. She turned without saying anything more and hobbled back to the group. Another group of cars brake to a stop at the intersection and she yelled, Needy is the opay to the people and the ashram is the crack house. I took advantage of the break in the traffic to hustle back across. The cop was talking to a pretty woman at a bus stop further down telegraph, so I gave him a quick wave and went directly up to the entrance. The interior surprised me. I was expecting something like a hippie commune. What I got was a full veneer and polish of a three-star hotel. Cherry wood paneling covered the walls, warm light glowed from elegant sconces, and the carpeting was lush and thick enough to lose your mantra in. Two smiling women behind the reception desk greeted me as I walked in the door. Welcome, they said in unison. God dwells within you, as you. I patted my chest where I felt an incipient heartburn. Hope he doesn't mind the chorizo, I said. That earned me a strangled look of disapproval from the older woman, who had long braided hair with a part down the middle like a knife cut in paraffin. The younger one didn't break stride. Is this your first time to the ashram, she asked. Would you like a tour? Maybe later. What I'd like most is to talk with Sri Atmanidhi. Is he around? This was an even bigger indiscretion. They glanced at each other, and the older one put on a pair of round, John Lennon-type glasses to give me a thorough inspection. I'm sorry, she said. The guru is very busy. But there are other teachers available who can explain our beliefs. No, it has to be the big guy. Do you have a piece of paper and a pen? I'd like to write him a note. After a pause dripping with unspoken calculation, the older one nodded and the younger one scurried behind the desk to locate the requested implements. I'm sure they figured it was an easy way to fob me off. I decided to follow Beth's advice and threaten Needy with bad PR, but rather than something specific, I kept my saber-rattling vague. i had learned that people tend to fill in the blanks with their own worst-case scenario. I folded the paper in half when I was finished and wrote, To Gene Applegarth on top. The woman with the braids grimaced when she saw the name, but took the paper all the same. All right, then, she said, trying to will me out the door. We'll make sure he gets this. I want you to take it to him now. We told you he's busy. I leaned over the counter, getting in their faces. If you don't take the note to him immediately, I'm going to call my friend at Channel 2. I'll make sure he does a story about what's in the note, and I'll also make sure it features live interviews with the protesters from in front of the ashram. They stared at me like I was a swine flu patient who'd offered to French kiss them. Go, I yelled. Miss Braids with round glasses hurried out from behind the desk. You stay here, Jenny, she said to her compatriot. I'll be right back. Jenny looked at me with a twitchy expression, and then got busy filing index cards in a metal box behind the counter. She had only gotten as far as the M's when two strapping lads with shaved heads and flowing orange robes appeared at the far end of the lobby and ambled up to the desk. They looked like they would have been more at home in orange jumpers issued by the state. You wanted to see the guru, said the one with an obvious knife scar on his throat. That's right. He didn't waste any time. His hand darted over to my arm and he dug his fingers into my tricep like he was kneading silly putty. His partner moved in close to tromp on my foot and sling an uppercut at my midsection. I twisted round to avoid taking the full force of the blow in the gut, but still receive a stinging shot to the ribs. I crumpled forward. The guy with the scar laughed and shoved me into a dive that force-fed me about two yards worth of carpet. You still want to see the guru? he shouted. I levered myself up on one elbow, but he piled on, rolled me over and got busy seeing how far he could push his forearm into my windpipe. Black spots were swimming in front of my eyes like drunken amoebas by the time I reached the knife on my ankle and laid the business end alongside the scar on his throat. Oh yeah, I croaked as he let up the pressure on my windpipe. You've been here before. There's an old gag about bringing a knife to a gunfight, but no one ever makes jokes about bringing a knife to a wrestling match. This was the second time in a year it had saved me from a lot of heartache. I held him close with a handful of robe while I maintained the pressure from the knife. Roll over, I said, and stay the fuck away from us or I'll cut his head off, I yelled to his orange brother. I forced him onto his back, got to my knees, and then yanked him to his feet. I couldn't avoid sawing a little at the skin of his throat during the maneuver, and a thin trickle of blood ran down from the place where the blade had made contact. I stood behind him, taking gasping breaths while I scoped the area. The girl had run away or was hiding behind the reception counter. The other guy was looming in front of us in a semi-squat position like a sumo wrestler. What should I do, Jerry, he said. Nothing, Tom. Don't do anything, said Jerry. Tom and Jerry. That was cute. I risked a glance behind me and spotted a door to the side labeled Temple. Here's what you do, Tom, I said. Get Applegarth and bring him to the temple. Tell him that Jerry and I will be waiting and that Jerry has a particular interest in his prompt arrival. Got it? Tom nodded his head but seemed to be waiting for affirmation from Jerry. I pressed the knife a little harder into his throat. "'Do it!' he shouted to Tom. Tom edged by as warily and trotted off to the back of the lobby. I pushed Jerry towards the door. "'Open it,' I said. "'You're making the wrong play,' he said. "'Just open the door.' Jerry reached for the knob and pulled the door open. I took the knife away and shoved him into the room. He tripped on a potted plant and landed in a heap beside a little shrine." The room was long and narrow with another larger shrine at the far end and pews and kneeling rugs filling the space between. The walls were painted white and the ceiling was translucent glass and the whole thing had a feeling of a greenhouse or a fancy screen porch. No one else was inside. Jerry sat up and brought his hand to his throat. He stared at the blood on his fingers and cursed. Go sit in one of the pews, I said. And if I don't, I'll let the guts out of you. I was really flying blind now. I didn't know whether Tom would come back with a gun, more Orange Brethren, or the cops, but I was hoping the threat in the note would worry needy enough to prevent that, and I didn't want to walk away after all the trouble I'd gone to. Jerry took a place in the nearest pew, and I sat down beside him with a knife at his side. Great spot to contemplate your mortality, I said. Go to hell. I was dividing my attention between Jerry and the door, so what happened next surprised me but it would have surprised me in any event. There was a rattling noise at the back of the room, and a short guy with greasy hair appeared from behind the big shrine pushing a tea cart. Dressed in purple robes, he looked like an older, chubbier version of the guru on the book cover, and when Jerry stiffened at my side, I had no doubt it was needy. He rolled his little cart, which was in the shape of a fantastic swan, to a stop by a prayer rug. Welcome, weary pilgrim he said, and proceeded to flop down on the rug. Tom, please serve the tea, and then you may leave us. I'm Jerry. Needy smiled beneficently. Of course you are. Jerry got up to pour tea into earthenware bowls and put one in front of Needy and another on the rug across from him. He bowed to Needy when he was finished and went out the side door, flipping me off from the doorway when he was certain Needy wasn't looking. Cut yourself shaving, Tom, I said to his back. Please join me, Mr., said Needy, letting his voice trail off. Reardon. Yes, Mr. Reardon. What, on the rug? Of course. A man who humbles himself before God, garnishes his soul. He spoke in a soothing, honeyed voice. I resisted the urge to make a crack about parsley and went over to the rug to sit down. It was goofy as hell, but so was everything else I'd been through for the last half hour. With my bum knee, I couldn't sit cross-legged like Needy, so I settled in an awkward position with both legs stretched out in front of me. Needy sipped his tea and looked at me thoughtfully. Up close, he had an unexpected something. Magnetism wasn't quite the right word. Fascination was closer. His hair was pulled back to emphasize his high forehead, and his eyes were wide-set, deep-brown, and vaguely troubling, like very good prosthetics that you somehow knew were artificial. Are you afraid of me? he asked at length. I laughed. Not that I'm aware of. Then put the knife away. This is a sacred place. I had forgotten I was still holding it. I hiked up my pant leg and returned the blade to its harness, hoping I wasn't compounding my errors. Have some tea, he urged. You'll find it refreshing. I picked up the bowl and sniffed at it. Are you sure I won't find it's drugged or worse? A skeptic's heart is wizened by his suspicions. I took a sip of the tea and immediately wished I hadn't. It tasted like last night's bong water. A skeptic's heart may be shot, but I bet its palate fares better. A faint smile curled at the corners of Needy's mouth. Score one for him. I'm sorry you did not enjoy it. But you have been very dogged in your pursuit of an audience. So let us move on to that. How may I serve you? I thought my note was pretty clear. Your note was vague. You threatened to tell what you know about me and Carolyn Stockwell to the police. There is nothing to know, so your threat is idle. Really? I know that she came to the ashram. Many girls come to the ashram, and many of them are molested. He lifted his shoulder slightly. You have been talking to the misguided souls across the street. No one here has been molested. Since I walked the path of enlightenment, under the guidance of my own guru, Bhagavan Sri Pataskina, I have remained celibate. Did this Prada... I stumbled over the word. Did this other guru hang out with you in Bisbee then? I know what you are suggesting. You are suggesting that I have never visited India. That is another untruth promoted by those across the street. I have spent many years traveling with the guru in western and southern India. He died before he could select a successor. But his spirit visited me after death and passed on the full power and authority of the guru lineage. Visited you how? Nidhi brought his hands together prayer-like in front of his chest. In the form of a bird of paradise, he said reverently. He came to you as a tropical plant? Needy's eyes flashed, and I got a look behind the veil. No, you moron. A bird of paradise is a bird as well as a flower. My mistake. But didn't I read in your book that anger is like an egg lobbed at a Porsche 911? Seems like you lobbed a big one just then. Needy clenched his jaw. I said that anger is as a stone cast into a wasp's nest. He took hold of a leather thong around his neck and pulled a crystal amulet from the folds of his robe, He closed his hand around it tightly. Did you come here solely to provoke me? No, I came to find Carolyn Stockwell. And I told you I don't know her. But I didn't have to believe you. My leg was getting stiff, so I brought my knee up under my arm. For one thing, if you don't know her, why did you sick Tom and Jerry on me? A man in my position needs to be careful. There are many who would seek to discredit me for their own wicked purposes. I have found it wiser to deal with the threat promptly and firmly than to run from it or ignore it. Sounds like you've got another aphorism for your next book. But if you do know where Carolyn Stockwell is, or if, for instance, she happens to be living at the ashram, the best thing you can do now is to tell me before I involve the police. Needy smiled at me and released the amulet. He had the situation under control again. I assure you, Mr. Reardon, I have no knowledge of Miss Stockwell's whereabouts. And even were you to bring the police with a search warrant, you would not find her here. He shifted his bare feet from his lap and moved to stand up. I think we are finished. I was missing something, but I couldn't think what it was. I flashed on the Amazon.com packages in the back of the car. Goth angel, I blurted. Needy said nothing, but there was the smallest of hesitations as he rose from the floor. I stood to face him. You sent her gifts, didn't you? You met her here and started sending her gifts anonymously like the rest of those sickos. You've no proof of that, he said tersely. I'll get it. I am just a humble guru, with very little knowledge of worldly things like the Internet and privacy policies, but I think you will find that hard to do. He smirked at me and then clapped his hands sharply. Tom and Jerry came running from the entrance behind the larger shrine. And now, Mr. Reardon, I must ask you to leave. Tom and Jerry are here to escort you, and I think it's safe to say that they will not permit you to pull your knife again. You have been listening to Candy from Strangers, a book Mystery Scene magazine described as crackling and whip smart. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.